Hi, folks. Welcome and Happy New Year. I'll be reading more of the questions that I've received since the Bigger Pockets podcast aired. It was episode 305, if you haven't had a chance to listen. I posted it to the blog on November 23rd, or if you just put in the search bar, Bigger Pockets on manoverseas.com, you can pull it up that way. Uh, similar to the last time that I did a Q&A like this, I thought answering questions in this format would give the listener an opportunity to hear some of the questions that I get from people. And maybe you had the same question or you didn't think to ask the question or didn't get a chance because you're busy. Um, but most of the questions I get now are real estate related, specifically as it pertains to investing. Um, you'll notice in these audio blog posts that um, I tend to meander and get into other topics like uh, business and philosophy and uh self-development and book recommendations. Even relationships are something that's something that I've written about and uh, I'll get into a little bit of that today. So in my last blog post titled Accelerated Learning for Success, I actually listed my skill sets at the bottom. So if you have any questions about any of that and how I obtained those skill sets, shoot those questions over to me and maybe I will read them in a future audio blog post. So with that, let me get into some of your emails here. I've only selected three or four today because most of them have two or three parts to them. So I'll answer them individually and it will probably amount to six or seven questions by the time I'm done. So Angela in Joplin, Missouri, she says, hi, Brad, what kind of financial management is required in your 20s to be able to achieve financial independence in your 30s? That is a great question. First, I would say that mindset and financial man management are intertwined because you have got to get dialed in and you have to have a burning desire to achieve such a worthy goal that is financial independence. And you're going to be intensely focused and not worry about what other people are doing or thinking because you're going to be making sacrifices that other people are not willing to make. And you're going to go to work now so that you can play later. Uh, be prepared to lose friends. I hate to say that, but um, you know, while they're drinking on Saturday and Sunday, you're going to be reading and working on your communication skills and developing multiple streams of income. So what happens is you eventually get, <laughs> you, you stop getting invited to places. Uh, so that's sacrifice, but I promise that you will make new friends. Um, but the financial management side of it, I actually have a section on the blog called Man Overseas Recommends. And there's at the bottom bullet points for obtaining financial freedom. And I sort of outline how to do that. And the first part of that is to eliminate debt. That is number one. You must get out of debt so that every dollar that comes in beyond that can be saved and invested. That's not used to live on. So number two is save automatically. That should be done without you even having knowledge of it. Um, you don't even see it automatically out of your paycheck. Save automatically. Number three is track every expense. This is easy nowadays now that we have apps for it. I use Toshl, T-O-S-H-L. Uh, choose your lifestyle before each month begins. That means that if you are living on $3,000 a month, regardless of whether you, whether you have a big month and make $4,000 or whether you make ten dollars or $20,000, you are going to be deliberate about increasing your lifestyle. So maybe you give yourself a 10% raise if you've had several months of making $8,000 a month. So then you're living on $3,300 a month. But that has to be deliberate. deliberate. You're going to choose your lifestyle before each month begins. Um, you're going to track your net worth quarterly. So that's just your assets minus your liabilities. There's no reason to check it more frequently than that. It would be like getting on the scale twice a day. I mean, it's just, you're going to fluctuate. So take snapshots of different points in time over time, and hopefully that will be tracking up and to the right. Uh, next is diversify. Do not invest more than 10% of your net worth in a high-risk investment. That uh, A high-risk investment would be an individual stock. And lastly, get rich slowly. 
Anybody who comes to you with a get rich scheme, that person organizing the deal is the one getting rich, not you. So I was proposed many of these opportunities in my 20s and I knew better and I ignored it. And I encourage you to do the same thing. You can't get rich quick. That is so exceedingly rare. Um, so do not uh, jump on those types of get rich quick schemes. Sarah in Spring, Texas, she has a multi-part question, so I'm going to answer them individually. She says, hey, I heard you on Bigger Pockets and you were great. Your method of financial independence is what I'm interested in, small number of long-term buy and holds. My husband and I are currently saving for our first investment property and looking to purchase in 2019 or 2020. I have been scouring HAR religiously and getting my bearings for what's available in the market. I've been hoping to find a duplex, but most of the multifamily units I've seen are teardowns. We have a single family home that we bought in 2013, and we're looking to find something close to me for ease of management. First, for informational purposes, HAR is our local association, um, Realtor Association, and it's the acronym stands for Houston Association of Realtors. And it's a great resource for anybody who's trying to find uh, what's available in Houston and surrounding areas. As long as it's not for sale by owner, it should be listed there. Um, also, I, I like that she's saving her money to buy an investment property. A lot of people try to jump in without any funds, and uh, it's just more risky that way. Um, I think that her wanting to find something close to her is smart, too. I don't recommend remote landlording, especially when you're just starting out in investing in real estate. Um, I also like the, the idea of buying a duplex, especially if you are going to live in one side and lease the other. Uh, that's really convenient and a great way to build wealth and get started. Uh, but I'll say this, I have found that younger families are usually opposed to doing that because they don't want a neighbor that close to them. But if, if you find a good tenant, that'd be a great way to start. Um, sort of like house hacking that we talked about on the podcast. House hacking is when you get a roommate to help pay the mortgage. A duplex works in a similar way, except you're not sharing an individual unit. Sarah goes on to say, just curious, in which part of town did you find properties that you could purchase for 80 grand? Uh, she says, we're risk averse and I would love to pay cash for something and own it outright versus taking out another mortgage. We have a private source of funding available if I were able to find one of these deals. This is probably the most frequently asked question that I get. Where did I find $80,000 properties? So my properties are scattered throughout the Houston area. I do have two in one particular neighborhood that I really like in Northeast Houston, uh, but they've appreciated really well. They've gone up in value, so you can't buy them for 80000 anymore. Um, that was anywhere from six to 13 years ago. Um, and this is something that I talked about in the last Q&A, so I don't want to spend a lot of time on it. But if I give maybe an overview of basic investing, I think it'll help. Um, so let's say we were to invest $1,000. And obviously, we invest to, to increase our wealth, and we want to retire someday. So we try to get our money to grow. So you take $1,000 and you put it under the mattress. Well, if you put it there, not only will it not earn anything, but when you pull it out five years from now, that $1,000 can only buy you $900 worth of goods and services, or $800, you know, however, depending on what the rate of inflation is. So inflation is just the fact that a dollar today is worth more than a dollar tomorrow. And with inflation, your dollar doesn't go as far as it did in the past. So if your grandparents could buy a, a gallon of milk for a quarter, that isn't the case anymore. And your dollar is worth more today than it is five years from now. And the reason, part of the reason is because that dollar can be invested. So I hope that makes sense and I'll tie it into real estate investing. So 
Real estate investing is usually a good hedge against inflation because when there's inflation, the cost of goods and services goes up and houses need wood and cement and bricks and bricklayers and appliances and plumbers. Uh, so the cost of all that goes up. Real estate tends to increase in value correspondingly. So there's risk involved, of course, in real estate investing, and you can certainly end up with less money in five years than you have today, especially if you're careless. Uh, but historically, real estate has been a good hedge against inflation. So I hope that helps. Um, the other thing is that rents generally go up too. So um, I'll share a personal example of something I invest in that is everywhere. <laughs> you, I promise you know what it is, um, and you maybe wouldn't think of it. But um, you probably spend some of your money there anyway, but you might be hesitant to take 5% of your paycheck and invest in this company. <laughs> um, so I, I not only invest in real estate, as you probably know, but I look for opportunities to diversify and build wealth using other avenues. And although I'm a big fan of mutual funds and index funds, and you should definitely be taking advantage of pre-tax retirement accounts, I also think that you should take a little risk. And individual stocks are risky, but I do own some. Um, there's a stock that my wife and I own in our portfolio that is not in the tech sector where a lot of my other investments are. Um, and that stock is, you know what, I'm going to save it. Uh, I have a lot of things that I want to say about that stock, but I don't want to get too far from the reader emails and messages. So um, <laughs> I guess I'm like, a, I'm like the host of a radio show that leaves you hanging when he goes to commercial. But we don't have any commercials here, so I'm going to get to the messages, and I promise I'll, I'll return to that stock here in just a minute. Um, back to Sarah. She says, I'm planning on searching tax records to potentially make some offers, but if I could find something for sale, that would work too. Your advice to have your real estate agent set you up with MLS emails is great, and I'm going to email mine to ask. Great. Um, first, I wouldn't, I wouldn't recommend searching tax records to make offers. Um, it's not a very good place to learn the proper value of a home. It's not like the county appraisal district researches whether or not someone has had a bathroom redone or a kitchen remodeled. Um, it's basically a drive-by appraisal to determine how much to assess in taxes. But in fact, it's not even a drive-by appraisal because they're not actually driving by the house. Um, so if you do that, you're basing your offer on the value of a home that's listed on the tax records. And if you're doing that, you're just starting from a faulty position. So it happens a lot where I will get offers in the mail to buy properties that I own, and the letter will usually say that they're willing to pay 80% of the appraisal district value, but the appraisal district value doesn't mean anything to me. It's, it's a pretty arbitrary number, um, and it's not the true market value. Like Sites like Zillow, for example, they can't know the proper value of a home, and I'll let you in on a little secret. because The reason they can't know is because much of the market data is kept proprietary by realtor associations. So you actually need a real estate license to gain access to multiple listing service data, which that's how you get information like closing costs paid and realtor fees and repair costs. So there's a lot of information that sites like Zillow just don't have. So I strongly encourage you to engage the services of a competent realtor who can help you. Thank you for your questions. Josh in Washington State. Hey, Brad, I heard your BP podcast and really enjoyed it. I'm a newbie trying to learn as much as I can so I can stay or so I can adapt and emulate. I was medically retired from the military, finished business school, but now I am a stay-at-home dad with three kids while my wife finishes school. So I'm trying to figure out a feasible way to start buying long-term rental properties. You mentioned looking for homes that fit your desired monthly return and that are in a good school zone. Are there any other factors you considered? 
Yeah, so regarding criteria, not other than what I mentioned on bigger pockets. I wanted the highest return, which for me was a price range of 70 to 90,000. So you may recall that I said that I didn't want anything sexy. And what I meant by that was financing a million dollar house and trying to rent it for $10,000 a month might be a sexy investment because you're buying something pretty and you can call yourself the owner. Um, where I live, they have guys that put $10,000 into a nightclub, call themselves one of the owners, and then have their friends skip the line and invite women to the VIP section for bottle service and shots. So uh, that's might be sexy investing. It's not for me. Um, I'd rather own a trailer park or a storage facility or $80,000 houses where the returns are good. Um, since I was in real estate, I knew schools and I knew crime stats. Our HAR site is very good for that type of info. Um, I'd recommend Googling your local Realtor Association website. They usually have good information. His next question, when you ran the numbers for homes to determine your return, how come you didn't budget for other possible monthly costs like maintenance, repairs, vacancy? Um, was it because you didn't have a mortgage? That's a really good question. Uh, the reason I was buying houses built 2006 or later was because I didn't want to worry about excessive maintenance and repair costs. When I viewed the property, then later had it inspected, I was able to assess how much I projected to spend on repairs in the near future. Um, but I had a high income at that time, so I probably wasn't as strict as I could have been. The money that was coming in from rents was just compounding, and my properties were appreciating in value. So things were good, man. Real estate can be a beautiful investment in addition to the tax benefits and depreciation. Um, let's see. Regarding vacant in, vacancies, there were hardly any. Um, th those houses were running like hotcakes. So once an investor snatched one, they were running almost immediately. So I had done a lot of research, though, so I knew all that information going in. Um, Saturday mornings are when I have always reserved to do a lot of my planning and figure out how to build income streams. I do a lot of reading, um, trying to figure out how I can increase my income. And so I knew all of the information that you're asking beforehand going into the deal. So my advice is to start small, um, allow it to inspire you to do the next one and the next one. Set aside some time every week to where you're studying this stuff. But yeah, that's what I would say, Josh. I really appreciate your question and um, thank you for your service to our country. Corey in Chicago. Now, Corey's message meant a lot to me because uh, when we were kids, he lived across the street from me. Um, he says, hey, man, just wanted to say I'm happy to see how great things are going for you. I've been reading as many of your blog posts as I can, and I was able to listen to your podcast on the way to work the other day. It was extremely motivating. I have been going through a little funk lately, just trying to regain the energy for life, and it was just what I needed. It's given me a big focus to end the year, planning the start of 2019. We've been living life content with just getting by, and your podcast made me realize that more is not out of the question. Now I am turning my two-plus-hour daily commute into a learning time. I started an audiobook called The Total Money, Mo the Total Money Makeover because I felt like I needed to start pushing forward. I know you read a ton, so if you have any suggestions on good books that are must-read, please let me know. I want to start goal setting, some family goal setting, and journaling. Man, that's awesome. I love that he reads my blog posts and goes back to them um, and listens to the podcast. And it's not for any self-interest reason, but because he says it's motivating. And I strongly believe that whatever it is that motivates you, whether it's my blog or guys who've made careers out of motivating and inspiring others, guys like Zig Ziglar and Tony Robbins, 
whoever it is that gets you going, revisit that person. His or her content or material is available now in a way that has never been possible. I mean, it's only been possible as of the last 10 or 12 years. Um, when I was coming out of college, I had to pay a lot of money to gain access to guys like Zig Ziglar's tapes and his CDs, um, but it's all free nowadays. So you can access blogs and eBooks and YouTube and podcasts, and most of that is free. So find someone that gets you going and start taking action. You know, we are living now through a golden era of self-directed learning. It's not information that is scarce. It is ubiquitous, in fact. So it's attention that's scarce. So if you can just direct your attention toward the good stuff, find someone who inspires you and follow that person. They're probably all over. They're probably on Twitter and Instagram and Facebook. You know, find them, follow them, go back to the material. We could all use a swift kick in the butt sometimes. And um, yeah, just have someone that can serve as that catalyst for getting you going because we will... It happens to all of us where we just start to drift and you get caught in a pattern. Um, we're creatures of habit. And if you fall into a bad habit, it can be hard to break. But the good news is that good habits are hard to break too. So the most important part of being inspired, as I see it, is that when you have flashes of inspiration, that is when you take action. It's when the emotion is high, when the fire is lit inside you. Do not waste that feeling. Because those flashes, those sensations that you feel where you want to get after it, those flashes are numbered. So take advantage of it. And you got to realize, too, that not everybody gets those, those flashes of, of inspiration, certainly not with the same frequency that you might. So if you hear a book mentioned by somebody you respect, you know, you can purchase that book now within seconds um, with a few clicks of the mouse. So, um, yeah, there's just no excuse, man. I, I think that if you change your... Uh, instead of listening to listening to music on the way to work and you start listening to audiobooks or podcasts, you know, places, things that, that can teach you something, it'll change your whole approach to, to the workplace and to life and your family and it'll improve your relationships. So, yeah, I'm always dumbfounded when I hear somebody say, yeah, I don't go to the gym, man. I'm, I just don't have the energy. <laughs> no, you, you got that in reverse, brother. It's you don't have energy because you don't go to the gym. And once your habits are in line, they all start falling into place. You know, one of the things I love to say is that you don't go to the gym and then go to McDonald's on the way home. It just doesn't work that way. So I have a habit between 5 and 7 p.m. that I've been that I started 20 years ago. And that's that I go to the gym and people ask me, man, you, you look like you're in good shape. Like, when did you start working out? And I'm like, I why would I ever stop working out? There's just too many benefits to it. So Corey now has a habit of listening to audio that's going to help him get to where he wants to be. And I know he asked for book recommendations, so I'll give a few of those. Um, something that I read recently called Thinking Fast and Slow was really interesting by Daniel Kahneman. He writes about system one thinking versus system two. And system one is more of the automatic brain processes, which you might call intuitive or instinctive thinking, um, whereas system two is more deliberate. So the more time you spend with system two, the more powerful your system one becomes. And an example from my own life would be um, I give presentations for a living, you know, being in business, and I tend to prepare and over-prepare. And I, I was asked to give a talk last month, and the speech that I gave sort of, it went really well despite me having less than 24 hours to prepare. 
And the reason is because a lot of what I said just kind of flowed out of my mouth because I've done it so many times. So because of all the reading and the writing and the presenting that I've done, System 2 sort of became System 1, if that makes sense. And I don't need a huge runway to prepare for speaking engagements because all of the knowledge is in my head and it just kind of flows. So three books that I recommended on Facebook recently were The City of Thieves by David Beinhoff. It's fiction, but uh, it's a great story. It's set during World War II. It's funny. It keeps your attention. It's a short read. So I encourage people who are not readers to start with something that they really might enjoy that will inspire them, inspire them to get the next book and the next one. Um, another one is When Breath Becomes Air. It was written by a doctor who um, who passed away, and I, that's not giving away the book because um, the ending is what takes your breath away. But it's a powerful book. I actually sent it to a doctor friend of mine because uh, the guy in the book reminds me so much of him, but it's really, really good. Um, Man's Search for Meaning by Viktor Frankl is probably my favorite book of all time. Viktor Frankl was an Auschwitz survivor who believed that there was uh, meaning to be derived from facing unavoidable suffering with dignity. Um, If you read my post about my childhood from the years 1991 to 94, you would understand why that book means so much to me. Um, The Slight Edge is good for motivation. It, uh, It talks about the compounding benefits of incorporating habits and disciplines into your life. So um, on my nightstand right now, The Artist's Way by Julia Cameron, something my wife gave to me for Christmas. Um, Cal Newport's book, So Good They Can't Ignore You, I just bought from my nook. (laughs) So I have books in all these different places. Um, Wherever I am in the house, I have a book within reach. Um, I'm always reading something by Taleb. Uh, Right now I'm rereading Skin in the Game just because his books are challenging, but there's so much in there to grasp that sometimes you have to read it again. Um, you know, you can't just read the easy stuff because you won't change and you won't grow. So I like to go back to those. And there are authors that I, I devour everything they write, and he's one of them, but also like Richard Feynman and Theodore Dalrymple, um, Thomas Sowell, Scott Adams, Matt Ridley, some of the older stuff uh, from like Will Durant and Dale Carnegie. You really can't go wrong reading any of those guys. So, Corey, it's great to hear from you, man. I hope that helps. I got a response from Corey. Uh, he said the blog has been helpful in recentering life on what's really important. And anytime I need a quick refocus, I find myself hitting up your site and just scrolling through previous posts to find the motivation I need in the moment. Keep up the amazing work. Man, I love that. That is why I started the blog for messages like that. That is the return that I get for the work that I put in. So that's awesome, man. Um, Gabrielle in Tulsa, Oklahoma. I love your blog. Do you have a marketing communications background? What strategies do you have to grow traffic for your blog? Thank you. I look forward to reading more of your content. If that is a job application, I am hiring. I am not good at marketing, especially myself. Um, It's a weakness of mine. I read a few books recently on the topic um, because although I think that generally we should double down on our strengths, um, we shouldn't avoid our weaknesses altogether or neglect them anyway. Uh, So I read Blue Ocean Strategy and I read uh, Seth Godin's book called All Marketers Are Liars. Uh, Those are really good, uh, but blogging is a new thing for me. It's a whole new world, actually. I mean, I had been journaling for years and the blog just became sort of an outgrowth of journaling. So I've been doing it for a little over a year now. Promoting it is still not something I'm totally comfortable with. 
I could sell some, somebody else's product with my eyes closed, so to speak, but my own stuff, I just, I don't have an effective strategy. I'm, I'm in the process of hiring a small team now to help me because um, the blog has, has experienced tremendous growth in recent months. Um, so I want to have impact on people like, uh, like people like Corey, and I want to help them in modern parlance live their best life. Uh, yes, girl. Um, that's another thing that I see all the time. Yes, girl. And live your best life. <laughs> um, I have theories on why I'm not good at marketing my own stuff. I guess this is what solitude and reflection brings. But uh, yeah, I know myself pretty well. And I tend to be understated. And you can probably, well, you probably can't tell. <laughs> I don't talk as much as most people. And part of that is because I know that you don't learn as much with your mouth open. And I know that most people enjoy talking. And since I am other directed, I want the other person to enjoy themselves in my presence. And so I let them talk and they get the pleasure of talking. And I usually get the pleasure of learning more than they do. So, yeah, 90% of my conversations, I say less than the other person, if you can believe it. <laughs> uh, even in circumstances where I might have a lot to offer, people generally don't, don't want to hear it. So uh, I try not to offer advice unless I'm asked. Um, but yeah, I'm tempted sometimes, and the blog gives me an outlet for that, so that's good. Um, but yeah, I noticed lately in America, just communication skills diminishing across the board. You know, um, how many times does it happen where you're talking to somebody, and or actually you're in a conversation, I should say, with somebody, and they talk for 15 minutes, and they don't pick up on nonverbal cues, or like when you take a breath because you're about to talk, and contribute to the conversation, but they either ignore that breath or think of something else that, you know, they thought of something and they just can't hold their tongue. And so they jump in and start to talk faster um, so that they get their words in. But yeah, I have this theory. Um, I've been studying communication for years, but I have this theory that when two people converse well and they connect, it's almost like a graceful dance where two people just sort of glide across the dance floor. And you have to be able to adjust to different types of people. And this is where experience in different cultures can help because, or even learning another language, because it just gives you a, a different lens through which you can view the world. And so my theory is if you're capable of dancing different, you know, if you can do the tango and the foxtrot and dance hip hop, uh, then you're just going to have more tools in your bag to be able to interact with someone effectively. So if not, if they can only dance the foxtrot and you can only dance hip hop, well, then you're going to step on each other's toes and it won't be a pleasant dance. It'll be awkward. <laughs> and uh, so that's something I look for, not only in the people I'm going to do business with, but even, you know, with friends and the person I was going to marry. I needed to be able to communicate effectively. So that's all the emails and messages that I'll go through today. Um, OK, I promised you I'd go back to the stock that I mentioned earlier that my wife and I own. It is McDonald's. <laughs> and it's not because we like Big Macs. In fact, we hardly eat there at all. OK, we probably eat there for breakfast sometimes. <laughs> Who can resist, right? Uh, but the reason we own McDonald's is because I love their business model. They are primarily a real estate company. So they, rather than collect a lot of money in royalties or sell cooking equipment to franchisees, McDonald's makes much of its revenue by buying the physical properties and then leasing them to franchisees, usually at very high markups. So in my travels around the world, also, I have noticed that McDonald's restaurants are in prime locations. When you go to places like Munich, Germany, or Salzburg, Austria, or Bucharest, Romania, they're always, the restaurants are always packed and they're in prime spots. So there are other reasons to like it. Um, 
they've always got they've always adjusted their menus so when america went on a health kick they started selling salads <laughs> i mean who would have thought right and then when starbucks started dominating the coffee business mcdonald's began offering premium coffee in fact when i was in new zealand mcdonald's didn't even offer their regular coffee they had fancy starbucks like setups but didn't offer regular drip coffee uh, but my main interest in McDonald's is the fact that they own $40 billion in real estate assets. And I don't recommend stocks, and I'm certainly not recommending McDonald's. I don't recommend buying individual stocks at all. It's very risky. Uh, but if you do, it shouldn't be a large portion of your wealth. I never do more than 10%. Uh, but I do think that you should take some chances with your portfolio, especially if you're young with a rising income. You know, one of the things that I mentioned on the podcast is that if I had to do it all over again, if I was 22 years old, um, I would have taken more calculated risk when I had a large income. And by the way, McDonald's shareholders receive a 2.5% dividend. So there you go. Uh, before I sign off, I just want to say that this is the best time of the year uh, because this is when you make little investments of time to make sure that 2019 is going to be your best year. Um, so I hope that you're doing some planning. If you missed December 31st or January 1, you didn't get a chance, that's okay. Set some time aside today. Tell the family you're going to do some thinking and some writing for an hour and uh, write in your journal. And if you don't have one, make some notes on the back of an envelope. Set some goals for the year. Write about who you met in 2018, how you're going to develop those relationships. Harness what you learned last year and see if you can't get better for 2019. And let's do big things together. I don't have anything else for you today. I really appreciate you listening. I know I said this last time, but I do not take it lightly that you've chosen to spend your time with me. I know that you could be doing anything in the world, so thank you. It means a lot to me. If you enjoyed today's audio blog post, please let me know in the comments. Make sure you're subscribed to the blog if you're not already. Please like us on Facebook. Also, you can follow me on Instagram and Twitter. I'm at man underscore overseas. Thank you, folks, and Happy New Year.